Hey, folks, good evening. It's good to see you. I, uh, I'm impressed. There's a lot of you here from last week. Yeah, it's pretty, you know, it's easy to get people to come to the first, the first one in a series, first lecture in a series. It's a lot harder to get them to come to the second one. So I'm impressed that you're here. Thank you. Appreciate it. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father God, we do love you and praise you. Thank you for the wonderful day you've given us. We thank you for this church. We thank you for this church family. We thank you for all the families represented here this evening. Please open up our minds and our hearts to your Holy Spirit as we proclaim an understanding of your word. It's important to grasp and understand that not all things look good, but all things are good if they are of you. We pray for the, the people of Ukraine and uh, protect them, comfort them, and let them know that all, that it, that all who are in Christ have victory. They should never be conquered. We ask these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Okay, we took a survey last week, and uh, the results are in. And this is the one that got the most votes was the one we're going to do this evening. Let me get our uh, slides up there. Why evil exists. And um, it's interesting. This is um, not, an easy, not an easy subject to address. Let me tell you right now. This is um, going to be much less of a discussion and much more of a lecture. I have to be honest with you. Um, it's just the way it is. I have to sort of stay on script, if, if you will, or we'll, we'll, this thing can go anywhere. So I want you to bear with me as I go through this. Very important. Bear with me until we get near the end, and maybe all of it will start falling together. You'll see how it all comes together and why we need to know and understand about evil. It's important. And um, also, this is not the kind of um, uh, uh, subject that you want to take notes on. It's just really going to be hard to do. So I encourage you to sit back and listen and ponder the things that we're going to be saying. And there it is. Send a note to that email right there, TompkinsRichard@hotmail.com. Right in the subject line, just put notes or slides, and I'll give you whatever you ask for. Notes, slides, or notes and slides, and I'll send them both to you. Whatever you ask for, I'll give you. You don't have to put anything else inside. Just make that request, and I'll hit reply and attach this to you. And tonight, I'm working, unlike last week, where I just work kind of freehand based upon the slides. Tonight, I have a script. So every, you can have this script. You've got every word on here. And I'm going to be pretty much sticking to write what it says uh, because it's too hard to do otherwise. So I encourage you to request this. Get this. Read it over again and ponder Ponder it and let the Lord lead you through it. So let's begin. I'm going to read a passage from Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. And it says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness. Evil's been around a long time. Evil's been around since, well, since the fall in the garden. And we have to deal with it and the effects of it ever since that time. And no one debates the fact that good and evil exist. We only debate 
what we should call good and what we should call evil. But as Isaiah warned us, you better get it right. You better get it right. So let's begin by taking a look at this question. Why is, or what is evil? It's not on the, it's not on the slides. What is evil? This is about the only time you're going to get to say something tonight. So now is the time. <laughs> what is evil? Who wants to take a step? Hmm? Squash. Mushrooms are evil. Mushrooms, Mushrooms are from the devil. Again. Yeah. What else might be evil? What is evil? Define evil for me. And at this stage, there is no wrong answer. When we get through this lecture tonight, and if you can't give me a definition of what is evil, then we may have a problem. But right now, anything goes. You can't be wrong. So what is evil? What makes something evil? Yeah. Who said over here? War. War is evil. Okay. What's that? Darkness is evil. It is for somebody like me. I'm just afraid of the dark, that's for sure. What else is evil? What is it? Define evil. Give me a definition of evil. Because I'm not arguing that these aren't evil. Doing what? Doing harm to others is what you would def how you define evil. Okay, very good. What's that? Go against, oh boy. Did you read this? <laughs> to go against God. Very good. Anyone else want to take a stab? What makes something evil? The intention that it's done with. Okay? Very good. So, does the presence of evil make God bad? Is he good or bad, depending on whether or not, uh, you know, there's evil or not? Or, or is he good and bad? Or maybe, maybe evil even proves that God doesn't even exist. What about that? Of course, we know that's not true. God can only be good. Let me say that again. God can only be good. And as we're going to see in just a little bit, He's truly both all good and He's all powerful. One of the, um, uh, the age-old questions that Christians have had to face is, why then does an all-good and all-powerful God allow evil to exist? On the surface, hmm, seems to be a little contradictory, right? It's contradicting each other. The Bible is pretty clear. The Bible says that God is all good. Right? I gave you some passages that, that, uh, that talks about that. It also says that God is all powerful. So, why does He allow evil? Is it because He created it? Hmm. And if so, then why? And if not, since he's all-powerful, then why doesn't he just eliminate it? See him on the surface, right? Pretty legitimate questions. So why is this? In fact, the presence of evil is one of the arguments that some use, particular philosophers and skeptics, they'll use that to prove that there is no God, or at least not a God like we have in the Bible, not a biblical God. So here's how the argument goes. And I've heard this several times. It goes like this. Number one, if God desires only good, since he is being, since he is all good, then evil should not exist. <laughs> but yet evil does exist. Hmm. If God is all powerful, then he should be able to prevent or eradicate evil. 
all evil. Yet, what? Evil exists. And if God desires only good, yet evil exists, then God is not all-powerful. And if God is truly all-powerful, yet evil exists, then God is not all-good. Wow. And since God can't be all-good, and He can't be all-powerful, according to this analysis here, then God of the Bible does not exist. He's not real. At least, not the God like we think. Maybe some wimpy deity out there floating around, but not the God of the Bible. Cannot exist, according to this analysis. Sounds pretty logical, doesn't it? Wow. But the Bible teaches pretty clearly God is an all-powerful and all-good God. So how can we then successfully address this dilemma? What is our problem here? How do you face somebody who, who presents that kind of argument to you? It seems pretty rational and logical. Pretty hard to overcome that, isn't it? Well, that's the reason we're here for this evening. Before we're done tonight, I hope you'll be able to refute that premise. Some have tried to answer that question, you know, of, of, of why this is philosophically. All the philosophers like to talk about this. Nothing good comes of that. It either drives people toward the elimination of God or a redefining of God or a redefining of what good and evil is. But it doesn't present a solution to the problem. All of these attempts are wrong because you cannot call evil good and good evil. You're going to soon see. You can't even call anything good or evil without God. Hang on to that thought. Evil is evil. Good is good. And it's possible to clearly understand which is which and how the existence of the God of the Bible is essential for both good and evil to exist. He's got to be just how he is for good and evil to exist. So our premise then, unlike my philosophy friends and my atheist friends and my skeptic friends, our premise is going to be that God must exist in order for good and evil to exist. Not just any God, not just any God, but the God of the Bible has to. So let's proceed on how we can Show that to be true. The presence of evil does not disprove the existence of God, but rather it serves as a proof for the existence of God. That's right. Without God, evil and goodness would represent only what? Opinions. That's all they would be. Human opinions. And opinions in and of themselves do not represent reality. And that's the truth. In order for there to be real good and evil, there must be a God, even though we may not, we may, we may not fully understand all about His nature just yet. There must be something. There must be something out there that's bigger than us, that transcends all the physical universe. There has to be, or you'll never make any sense. You'll never even know what good and evil is without it. Without God, there can be no real purpose for pain and suffering and tragedy, regardless of whether it's natural or man-made. 
the God of the philosophers and the skeptics and even other religions. And I've studied every religion in the world. I'm here to tell you, none of them make any sense of evil, pain, or suffering. They have no solution for it. But we do. Only the God of the Bible can give purpose to understanding this concept of evil. So that five-stage argument that I outlined earlier, not valid. And we're going to address that more specifically in uh, just a little bit. So here's the thing. It's important, very important for us to understand evil and its place in this world in order to understand God and his purpose for it. Let me say that again. It's a little Richardism that you can remember. It's important to understand evil and its place in this world in order to fully understand God and his purpose for this world. And before I'm done this night, tonight, you will see that and understand it. I guarantee you. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look first at the nature and source of evil. Secondly, we're going to look at the purpose of evil. Yes, it does have a purpose. And lastly, we're going to look at evil's temporary status and its limitations. So the starting point is to define what is good and what is evil. Well, I'm going to get a, a definition here. We'll see how close you got. We'll see how close you got. My catches. Here you go. You ready? Hold on to your hold on to your seats. Hold on to your seats. Evil does not really exist as a separate entity. Uh oh, you say, Richard, what you've been smoking? No, evil does not exist as a separate entity. There's no dualism, no evil entity, no good entity. You know what dualism is? Two opposing forces of equal, equal strength that battle it out. That's dualism. Doesn't exist with good and evil. That's not, that's not real. Doesn't happen. There's only good and the absence of good. That's it. That's all there is. Evil is not an external principle that exists outside of God. The absence, the absence of the goodness of God is what we know as evil. Plain and simple. That's it. Nothing else. Grasp that, and everything will start to make sense to you. The absence of the goodness of God is what we know as evil. It's also not a thing or a substance. It's the lack of good, and only God represents the fullness of good. Evil, then, represents the absence and or the corruption of the goodness of God. That's why. That's why this morning in Isaiah 5.20 is so important. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil because you can substitute God for the word good. That's the truth. It's important to grasp that. It's not a substance. It's the corruption or the absence of the goodness of God. It's not a thing. It's the lack of something. God's goodness. And that goodness is measured by God and only God. Just as darkness is the absence of light. Just like it. Just like darkness is the absence of light, evil is the absence of good. So that old saying that, that light is the brightest or shines the brightest in the darkest place is so very true. Absolutely. This doesn't mean that evil is not real, though. It is very real. It's just not a thing. It's not an actual thing. It's just absent or corruption of the, uh, this actual thing, the goodness of God. So corruption exists, and it's real, 
as long as what? As long as there is goodness that can be corrupted. As long as there's the goodness of God, as long as that exists, then evil can exist. And it's this absence or corruption that leads to evil acts. Most of the things you were giving me when I was asking you to give me a definition of evil are evil acts that comes out of this absence of the goodness of God, this thing called evil. They produce these acts. Pain and suffering, genocide, murder, rape, disasters, they're all the result or the symptom of evil. They're not evil itself. Just like a runny nose and a sneezing is a symptom of what? A cold. Same thing. Or COVID. <laughs> yeah, or COVID. Nowadays, I have to say COVID. You're right. Good point. Yeah. So you can see why one must begin with the premise that God exists. You have to start there. And pretty soon, this is not going to even make more sense to you. Without God, there is no goodness, and thus there can be no evil. This has to be true because it's totally illogical to think otherwise. And that, that is why Jesus said what he said to the rich young ruler. Recorded in Luke 18. Everybody know that, right? The rich young ruler came up to Jesus and says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life or to have the kingdom of God? And Jesus answered him a perfect answer. He says, Hmm, why do you call me good? There is none good but God. Now that statement is profound because it's true on two, on two accords. First of all, there is no goodness outside of God. Only God is good. But the young man calling Jesus good was the right thing to do because Jesus was God. So it's true on two accounts. There's a sermon in there. I'm telling you. Yes. So keep in mind it's impossible for total evil to exist as long as God exists. There must be some good, good against which to measure evil or you can't even know something is evil. You don't know. How do you know it's evil? If you don't have a, 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 a good to look at, you don't know. How do you know? You don't know. A garment that is totally moth-eaten is non-existent. You got that? If it's totally moth-eaten, then it's non-existent. It's not a cloth. It can only be a moth-eaten garment as long as the garment exists. Has to. You want to have a picture up there? There it is, right there. Pull that out of my wardrobe, out of my closet. <laughs> the fact that evil is present points directly to the existence of God. For without God and His goodness, we wouldn't even know that there is such a concept as evil, and there would be nothing with which to find a reference point and hear this, and this is why so many people, including Satan and his dominions, work so hard to take God out of this world. Remember I told you last week what Dr. Uh, uh, Geisler said? If you take God, big G, out of society, you end up with a godless society. Well, you end up with an evil one too, and you won't even know it. That's the truth. So why wouldn't God just create a world where evil would not be allowed? Good question, right? Where his goodness could not be corrupted. Well, 
That's because as hard as it, as hard as it may be for us to understand, there is a purpose for evil. Yeah, there is. Let's take a look at that. According to the Christian philosopher, Alvin Plantiga, and I know, I know uh, uh, Dr. Plantinga pretty well. I've read a lot of his stuff. I do not recommend it unless you really want to be bored. But he's a smart guy. But he said that God, when he created the world, only had three options. If he wanted a perfect world, he had three options and three options only. That's it. No other options. Let's take a look at them. Option number one. I call it this the, the perfect robot world. In other words, he creates, God creates this perfect world, but he makes it impossible for anything to go wrong. Nothing can go wrong. God's sovereign. He can do whatever he wants, right? He can make a world where nothing can go wrong. So he could have done that. Option number one. Option number two. He could build a perfect world and allow for something to go wrong. And whenever it does, he just destroys it and starts over. Could do that. Now, if he had done that, we'd be having probably a lot of world between then and now. In fact, he'd be doing a new world about every minute, every second, every nanosecond. But he could do that. Make a perfect world. Allow you to have the, the way or the, the, for the world or something bad to happen, and something to go wrong, and then... Now, some people argue that, well, maybe that's what he's already done here with, with Noah, right? What's wrong with that? Why isn't that an example? What's that? Yeah, he didn't destroy all of it, did he? He saved a whole bunch of animals and Noah and his family. And what happened when he did? Yeah, well, the, he, didn't, he didn't eliminate the corruption that was in Adam and his family. Just read the Bible. So he didn't start over. He just left the world continue. He tried to refine it along the way, which leads me to option number three. God could create this perfect world and allow something to happen to go wrong, give it the opportunity for something to happen to go wrong. But if it does, he has a plan, a backup plan to correct it, to redeem it if he does. So that's your three options. There are no other options that God had. So which of the three is the best option? Who votes for one? Who votes for two? Who votes for three? Oh, you guys are sharp. You guys are sharp. Yeah. Only number three qualifies. Why? Because God has a greater plan that transcends this world, and that plan involves the ability to choose. That's absolutely essential for a perfect world. You say, what? Yes, it is. That's the ideal world. God desires. He doesn't desire robots, but rather willing individuals who choose him. That's the truth. So here's the thing. God did not create evil, but he does allow it to exist. And how can this be so? Well, it all comes down to how God's goodness gets to be corrupted. See, in the final analysis, when it's all said and done, everything centers on free choice. All comes back to that. In his sovereignty, 
God has ordained that humanity be allowed to exercise the ability to choose him. Adam and Eve and all of humanity since has been given the right to choose in order for God to accomplish his ideal world. Wow. Bingo. We too can choose God's goodness or reject it. In doing so then, we determine the degree of evil that is to exist. You got that? It's our choice that determines how much evil will exist in this world. We can choose that there will not be any if we so choose. The only way that God can totally eliminate this corruption of his perfect goodness is to no longer permit us to make choices. That's true. And doing so will not, not result in the world that God wanted to have. If he takes away our choice, he cannot reach his perfect world. And I'll explain why in just a little bit. The ultimate goal is a world where everyone chooses to do good, to do only what God wills to be done, to choose only God. And therefore, evil does not exist. And that's why option three is the only viable one. It's the only world that can eventually result in the ultimate perfect world that also has no evil. So here's the thing. Evil is not desirable, but its possibility is necessary. Got that? That's it. It's important to grasp that. We're talking about the purpose for evil. There is a purpose. It's not desirable, but its possibility is necessary. Well, what about option one, you say? Well, it comes down to how you define perfect world, right? God defines a perfect world as a world where his creation always chooses to do good and not to do evil. Option one would allow, would, would, uh, would not provide that option because we'd have no choice, right? We couldn't choose anything. Neither would option two. Since humanity, if it made one wrong choice, then you'd be eliminated, be gone, done, over. We'll be constantly making new worlds. So what's involved in choosing? Let me, let me uh, uh, back up just a little bit and, and cover that. Choosing is not simply choosing what we want. A lot of people today say, yeah, I want choice. I want to choose what I want. It's not what it is. It requires a willingness to give up something in order to receive something. Ooh, philosophical, right? It's true, though. It's a choice between at least two options. If there's only one choice, then there is no true free choice at all. It doesn't exist. You've got to have two choices, two options. There must be the option to choose something other than God's will. You have to have that choice. Humanity had to be allowed to choose to obey or to not obey God. I'll give you, I'm going to say that, define that a little bit better in just a little bit. So why did God permit free choice? Why? Here's where the rubber meets the road, folks. Remember this. He had to allow it because it's a matter of love. You say, what? It's true. It's a matter of love. There can be no love without free choice. Love must be chosen, not dictated. And you cannot force me to love you 
And I can't force you to love me. <laughs> and there is no loving relationship unless we both choose. God is more than a God of justice and power. He is that. Every bit of that. But He's more than that. He's a God of love. Just read 1 John 4.8. The one who does not have the one who does not love does not know God <laughs> because God is love. And since God is love, then He desires for us to have this loving relationship with Him, but that requires that He permit us to choose to love Him. We cannot love without choice, and if God was to force His love upon us, it would not produce a loving relationship. It could not be. In a loving relationship, both parties must choose to love each other. And if you've been married more than 30 seconds, you know that. That's the way it is. And the longer you're together, the harder that <laughs> comes sometimes. But it's true. Now catch this. The existence of God's perfect goodness in the lives of people and the world in which they live is contingent upon man's willingness to love God. That's the truth. That's what John was trying to tell us. In 1 John 4, 16, and we have come to know and to believe that love, to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in, uh, in him. And that's why he created us in the world the way that he did. That's it. That's why. Now, here's the good stuff. God allowed for the chance that evil could exist because he desire, his desire is to have an eternal loving relationship with humanity. That's why option number one is not a valid option. Evil does not have to exist, but it does because we choose something other than God's goodness demonstrated through his love. Now catch this. Catch this is important. God is responsible for making evil possible. Yes, He is, because He allows it to exist and for this choice to be made. But we, we are the ones guilty for making it a reality. That's on us. And that's true. Not God. But God has chosen love over everything. He has chosen to love us unconditionally without any action on our part and to trump our corruption of His goodness through the cross. One of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, Romans 5, 8, says what? God demonstrated His love for us in this. What is it? That while we're still in our sins, what did He do? Christ died for us. What a powerful passage. What a powerful demonstration of what, God, for what God's love is. God's desire is for us to choose Him and His goodness through exercising, four-letter word, love. To love the Lord with all our heart, all our mind, soul, and strength, and our neighbor as ourselves. These are the greatest commandments, according to Jesus Christ. He might know something about that. Yeah. The degree to which we choose to do so will work against this corruption of God's goodness that we know is evil. You want to eliminate evil? Learn about God's love. So back to our five-stage argument. I said I'd get back to it. So let's take a look at it again quickly. The premise that there is an all-good and all-powerful God that could not exist if evil was present. That's the bottom line, right? And there's a fallacy in it. What is the fallacy? What does it fail to do? 
it fails to consider that there is a God who is also all-loving. It doesn't consider that. It only looks at two things about God. It doesn't consider his love. And that's how it falls, falls down. For his love overrides everything. It gives purpose and value everything. So here's the truth. God has a greater plan that will provide for an, e an evil free world, a perfect world, through his love for us and our choice to love him. And since evil is the absence of or the corruption of God's goodness, then it can only exist if God is good and it is dependent on our exercising of our free choice. But it is the ability to exercise our free choice that provides for the possibility of aligning ourselves with God's ultimate and overriding will. And that's to have a loving relationship with us based on our choice to love Him. Even if our love is a little imperfect in the temporary, in the, in the short term. Still, still works. So God then, his desire is not simply for everything to be good. Not to just be good. It's not. But it's for the obtainment of goodness through a relationship with him provided by his perfect love and our choice to engage in that loving relationship with him. That is what it's all about. In fact, it's impossible to have a perfect world that is full of goodness and void of evil without love. That's why option one and two in our three worlds cannot be valid. valid no, option number one, we have no choice. Thus, we cannot have a loving relationship. It cannot exist if you don't have a choice. Option number two, what? We have a choice, but there's no redemption. Thus, there is no love from God to us. Those two options cannot be. It must be the number three. The only way. It's the best because it could not fail. If humanity never chooses sin, then there's this loving relationship. But if humanity does choose sin, then God overrides that failure with a plan based on his love to provide a loving relationship with us anyway. In spite of it. Wow, what a perfect plan. It doesn't get any better than that. Wow. Of course, that begs the question. Can an all good, morally perfect God, whose nature is love, want evil to exist? Ooh. Told you it was going to be philosophical tonight. Would he want it to exist? He allows it, but does he want it? No. You're right. No, he doesn't. No way. But that doesn't mean he might not still choose to not take action to prevent or eliminate it. In the short term. In the short term. Got to add that qualifier. God may choose to allow evil because he has reasons for doing so that outweigh the desirability of acting towards evil in the short term. I remember like it was yesterday when I was seven years old. I had really bad tonsils, really bad infection. And the doctors decided that I have to go have them cut out. That was back in the 50s, a long time ago. Things weren't quite like they are today. Well, the thing is, little Richard wasn't big on that idea. I remember fully well screaming and yelling and kicking as they took me to the operating room. They literally had to strap me down. I could not, in my seven-year-old mind, understand the necessity 
of that surgery. I couldn't see the big picture. I could only see things from my limited perspective. But there were those who could look beyond my understanding and see the necessity, the greater good, if you will, that was required, that required those tonsils to be removed. So here's the thing. There may be a purpose for evil that we simply cannot understand. We just can't see the reason God allows it. Not knowing the reasons God has does not mean they aren't valid or that God can't exist or that God isn't all good and all powerful. In the end, God has a greater good that results. That's true. Free choice is that greater good because it provides for the attainment of God's ultimate purpose and thus it outweighs the evil that results from its use in the short term. But what about these things called acts of God? Are they acts by God? Who's got an opinion on that? Yes or no? Or acts of God, acts by God? How many say yes? We got a yes or over there. Somebody say no. And nobody says no. We have one yes and, and, and no no's. <laughs> we don't have a quorum. Well, we got to answer that. It's important. Here's the answer. Yes, sometimes. Yeah. Yes, sometimes. But most of the time, probably not. Yes, sometimes. But most of the time, probably not. All evil, including natural disasters, result from free choice. Do you know that? Every evil thing, every natural disaster is a result of free choice. It is. You see, Satan, his fallen angels, as well as Adam and Eve, freely chose to sin. And the result of that sin is a fallen and flawed world where hurricanes and volcanoes and earthquakes and tornadoes, as well as sicknesses and deformities, occur. Sin brought disease and sickness into this world because we chose to corrupt the goodness of God. And so did Satan. And every, a third of the angels that, that went with him. That's true. We're living with the, with the result of that. This world in its fallen state must continue until Christ returns. Just look at Revelations chapter 21 and 22. You'll see that. But evil, now catch us, this is important. Evil in the lives of people does not have to continue. It does not. Not only that, but free choice also brought into this world the evil and even physical suffering that comes from demonic forces as well. That's true. They bring havoc to this earth and to the people who live in it. Suffering in, of, and from this world comes from the evil produced by freely choosing something other than the goodness of God. Everything. It was never God's intent for His creation to experience evil. Never. His desire is and has always been for His creation to experience the goodness of His love and His presence. That's true. He even pronounced all His creation what? 
Good, he says. He was still like every time. Good, good, good. And when he was done, he says, it's very good. And the Apostle Paul carries that, that idea into the New Testament. 1 Timothy 4, 4 says, all things created by God are good. God is good, and all things of God is good. Don't ever forget that. This brings me then to the final point that I want to talk about this evening. Here's the good news. God has a plan to eliminate evil forever. In fact, it was His plan all along. From the very beginning, the best path to the perfect world is through the conquering of evil with love. That's the real truth. Even though sin polluted God's perfect creation, God did not leave it or put it out of its misery. Instead, He poured out His perfect love on it. I think of the world, the, the, uh, uh, the, the, uh, the symbol or logo for uh, Sherman Williams. You know, it's a world, it has a world, and it has this paint coming down covering it. That's what I think of when I think of the statement. He poured out his perfect love on this world. No matter how much evil and suffering there is, God's goodness vastly outweighs it. It does. Why? Because his goodness is coupled with his love. So the best way to the perfect world was and remains Christ. Absolutely. So here's a really good stuff. God's goodness, His real goodness equals His love and His grace and His mercy manifested through the incarnation and atonement and their redemptive purposes. And that has been assured to us by the resurrection of Christ. Guaranteed, cast in bronze. As my granddad says, you can take that to the bank. Through the death and resurrection of Christ, God is producing a vastly superior world. It may not look like it today. If you, if you listen to news tonight and you saw all the devastation that's going on in, in um, uh, Ukraine, you say, oh, where's God? Well, he's still producing a vastly superior world, and we'll see in just a minute how he does that. While some short-term temporary victories by evil are occurring, like I said, you can look at every news and you can see it every night, they're nothing less than a means to an end because the possibility of their existence is needed in order to bring about the final defeat of evil and the perfect world that God desires. That's the truth. I've read the end of the book. God wins. That's true. I read it. And all those who have chosen to love God by accepting His great loving sacrifice on the cross, they win too. Wow. Therefore, evil in this world is temporary. And its status is limited. Don't be fooled by Satan's lies. Ultimately, the only way to eliminate evil is to either eliminate free choice or eliminate all of fallen humanity. <laughs> One or the others, well, you, that's the only way. You've got to take the choice away or eliminate all of us that choose wrong. If God does either of these two things, then His ultimate will of love cannot achieved, at least not to the extent that it doesn't have to be. It only has to be the best 
way to the best of all perfect worlds. And that's what it is. Not every specific event needs to have a good purpose. Only the greater general purpose of God needs to be good. And it is. God has a great general purpose that requires him to allow free choice and its downsides of evil. It has to be. We see this played out over and over and over in Scripture and in the world that we live in. Over and over and over. It's true. But here's the good news. Here's the good news. God is going to overcome evil. And he's going to establish a perfect world where only love prevails. In fact, evil has already been defeated. And God's going to eliminate it totally in his time. In fact, he's already dealt with evil through the death and resurrection of Christ. Just read 1 Corinthians 15, Galatians 1, um, uh, Isaiah 40, Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 36. Read them. Read them. You'll see. God's done it in. Done evil in already. Just doesn't know it yet. I remember that scene from the opening of The Gladiator, the movie The Gladiator. How many have seen that movie? It's a little gory. You've got to have, be a, be a, have a strong uh, constitution. But nevertheless, uh, the general, what's his name? Uh, I can't remember his name. But anyway, the star of the, star of the show, he makes the route ready to fight these, these pagans out here. And they're getting ready and they're making all these noises. These pagans are. He's riding on this horse. The, the, the general is and he makes a statement. Poor fools, he says. They're already defeated. They just don't know it. That's what Satan and his demons are. They're already defeated. They just don't know it. Yeah. It's going to happen. There's a great hope. And that great hope is what's the center of the Christian, Christian faith. Uh, the outcome is absolutely certain and guaranteed. So in the meantime... We can minimize evil in this world by choosing and helping others to choose what? A loving relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Evil will be totally defeated someday. Or at least it's defeated now, but it will be eliminated someday. But it can also be overcome right now. Let me say this again. Don't leave here without understanding this. Evil will be totally eliminated someday. But it can also be overcome right now if the world would only choose Christ. And here's the thing. It's our responsibility. It's our responsibility to help the world to see that. It's on us. It's on us. Remember the words of Christ recorded in John 16, 33. He says, you will have, in this world, you will have suffering. But be courageous or be of good cheer, some translations. I have overcome the world. I have conquered the world. Wow. That's it. It's right there. But that doesn't mean we're helpless. Or it doesn't mean that we just sit and suffer quietly. It doesn't mean that. There are some things that we can, and I think maybe even have to do in the face of evil. Number one, we must be willing to stand in the way of evil's advance. We must be willing to do that. 
The Bible teaches that. Be a good servant. But we must do so through and by the direction of God or else we may become contributors to the evil. And we must not do that. It's important. Another thing we can do. We can and we must pray. Never underestimate the power of prayer. Never. It's powerful. Great preacher, E.M. Bounds, says that there's a lot of things we can do after we pray, but there's nothing that we should do until we pray. Prayer is essential. God often intervenes because of prayer to limit evil as well. He does. I've seen it myself. So never stop praying. And thirdly and lastly, we will eliminate or limit evil. We must proclaim God's goodness provided through Jesus Christ to this darkening world. We have to be the light in a world that's dark. It's our responsibility. That's three things that we can do to take on evil. So, thanks for your time. Let's pray. And I'll turn it over to the pastor. Father God, we thank you so much for an understanding of who you are. Yes, the all-powerful, all-good God, but an all-loving God who is willing to be patient and pour out his grace upon us so that we, in the face of evil, can stand for all eternity in your goodness. Help us to live a life that rejects evil, that works to eliminate evil by proclaiming your goodness through the love you poured out to us through Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.